Thanks for listening to this message from our latest series, Blind Spot. Opportunities for greatness and blessing often show up where you least expect to find them and in places you tend not to look for them. Is it possible that God's been positioning you for something amazing but you've been unable to see it? Throughout this series, you'll learn how to find God's blessings and discover opportunities to do great things by looking in your blind spot. Because what you don't see can change everything. If you live at my house, you had a tough week this week finding stuff, right? So like last week, my wife got this idea that she was going to reorganize all of our kitchen cabinets. Okay, has anybody ever do that? Raise your hand if you've ever reorganized your kitchen cabinets. All right. There's only one guy put their hand up. I'm not going to say who it was. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good idea. Okay, I'm just going to throw that out there. Some of us men, like, you're really, like, messing with us. It's not right, okay? So Stephanie got this idea. She's going to reorganize all of our kitchen cabinets. And now you open them up, it looks like aisles at Kroger. You know what I mean? It's like everything's lined up. It's like alphabetical. It's like, you know, I mean. And then I can't find where stuff's at anyhow to start with because she's got like this system. You know what I'm talking about? Like a system. I don't know the system. So I'm looking for like a bag of chips. And I open up like this cabinet and there's like crackers and peanuts, something. And chips ought to be in there, right? And she's like, no, no, no. Crackers and peanuts are in one spot. Chips are in another. I don't even know what, I don't even know what the system is, right? It took me five years to learn the system. And then this week she changed it all. This week, she, I think she's just messing with me. I don't even think it needed to be organized. I think she's just messing with me. So she rearranges everything, and all week, guess what happened? All week, I'm looking for something, and I keep opening up the wrong cabinet, right? Now, here's what's crazy about that. Like, I opened the wrong cabinet, not like once, not twice. I mean, I opened the same wrong cabinet like four or five times. It's like, it's like my mind is so conditioned to where all the food's at in each cabinet, that even once I open the cabinet and I'm wrong, I still don't learn to go look in a different cabinet the next time. I still keep opening the same cabinet over and over again. I thought, what if God's blessing on your life is just like that? What if the blessing's right there in the same kitchen, but you just keep opening the wrong cabinet over and over again, even though you've opened it before and seen that what you're looking for is not in there, The very next day, you still go back to the same cabinet and open it up again, only to be disappointed because you can't find the bag of chips you're searching for. Now, what if God's blessing is just like that? And and for some of you in the room, you've concluded God just isn't blessing you. God just doesn't want you to have any chips. But really, they're just in a different cabinet you haven't been looking in. They're in a spot you haven't been searching. And then I thought... I brought some luggage with me today. I had to ask Opie to bring me a sleeping bag because I don't camp, so I didn't have a sleeping bag, but I brought some. This is our luggage. This is Stephanie's, Kenny. It's, it's purple, but it's not mine, man. You don't, have to, don't judge me, all right? So some luggage, and I thought, you know, I was thinking back to like, uh, you know, when I was, when I was growing up, now like we, went, we took some trips and went some different places and vacations and stuff like that, but my first real like big trip, like out of the country trip. Didn't come until I was a senior in high school, okay? So as a senior in high school, I decided to go on a missions trip to Belize in Central America. And I uh, went with a group of people from our church. And I show up, and we all load in this van to go. And I realized pretty quick that, like, I had more luggage than the other guys in the group. Now, there were some girls that had, like, same amount of luggage as me. But the other guys that were with us, I had more. I didn't realize that I wasn't 
See, it was kind of a different time to travel back then. There wasn't like all these restrictions on like luggage and baggage and all that in the airports. So I, I showed up with two suitcases, okay, and my carry-on bag was about this size right here, okay? And all my buddies, they had like one suitcase like this, and their carry-on bag was like about the size of this, right? It's just like this little tiny thing, you know? And I was like, oh, man, I was way overpacked is what happened, right? We were only going for a week, you know? So I noticed, like, as soon as we get to the airport, the first thing that hit me was like, man, these guys have way less to carry through the airport than me. So I got, like, my carry-on bag, and I got it, like, strapped over my shoulder, and I got this suitcase. Now, they didn't wheel back then either, Sam. It was like, I mean, I'm pretty old. You know what I'm talking about? They were like, they weren't even, like, soft. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the day when, like, the suitcases were all hard. You know what I mean? They didn't have all this soft cover. You don't know what I'm talking about, Abby. But they were like, it was like somebody gave you, like, a like a, like a big concrete block, and they were like, go carry that around, you know? So I have these suitcases, and you got to carry them like this, right? There's no wheel in them and all that. And most of the airports, and they didn't have, like, the little conveyor belts. You know, they didn't have that back then. You're just lugging stuff through the airport, and all my buddies are, like, having a good time. And I'm like, hold up, everybody. You know, I'm like, kind of hold it. And I'm, so I'm carrying all this stuff through, you know? And I started to think about that this week, and I thought about that passage. You know that passage in the New Testament where Jesus is like, Hey, man, narrow is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. Narrow is the road of those who follow me. Narrow is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to heaven. And only a few people will find that road. But wide is the gate, and and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And often in church, that verse, that passage gets taught as kind of like, Okay, so there's only going to be a few people in this world that follow Jesus and become Christians and get to heaven. And many, many more people are going to willfully choose destruction for their life, right? And that's true. I, I get that, right? But I was thinking about that verse this week. And I thought, you know, that road, if you focus, instead of, instead of focusing on the people on the road for a second, focus on the road itself. The road itself is narrow. The road to following Jesus is narrow, and one of the problems for a lot of us is we start down that road carrying all this luggage you can't fit through. And so God is like, God is working on this process in my life where he says, hey man, you want to follow me. If you want to fit down the narrow road, you're going to have to unpack the stuff you've been carrying around because you're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to cram down that road with all this stuff in your hands. It's too narrow, right? Right? And so he's working on this process in my life where he says, unpack that stuff, take it off, leave it behind, everything you need for the trip, I got up there ahead. All the blessing you need, I've provided on the road I've called you to to walk down. But so many of us, we're so used to packing this way that it's hard for us to leave stuff out. We're like, I know I'm only going, how many of you are like that? I know I'm only going for a week but I might need 30 shirts, right? You kind of like that. I know I'm only going for a week, but what if there's some kind of accident and somebody spills something on me? I might need extra changes of clothes. Or, or what if I run into, what if somebody wants, what if I'm on vacation and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do a thing on vacation except relax and rest. But what if some punk kid comes up on me and he's like, man, you got any game? He's going to hold a basketball. You're like, you want to play basketball? Like, I better have some gym shorts and some sneakers. So you pack all this stuff you have no intention of using because you don't know what you're going to face when you get where you're going, right? 
And God's like, no, if you're going to follow me, the road is narrow. You've got to unpack all that stuff and trust me that I've got all the blessing you're going to need for the trip on the road itself. Leave all that behind and just follow me. Today, this first week of this series, and each week, these stories, I think, are like amazing stories from the Bible, packed with kind of like interesting detail and, and kind of cool twists. And so this one we're going to look at today is in the Old Testament. It's actually recorded twice in the Bible. We're going to look at the passage in Isaiah. So if you have a Bible with us and you want to follow along, it's in Isaiah chapter 38. It's going to be the first eight verses. It's also recorded in the second book of the Kings, 2 Kings chapter 20. And the reason for that is because in the Old Testament, you've got these two books called First and Second Kings and two books called First and Second Chronicles. Kings and Chronicles, those are the records of all the happenings of the kings of Israel and Judah, right? But Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he kind of records his own book of all the happenings of his life. Well, Isaiah happens to be part of this story with one of the kings from the Old Testament, King Hezekiah. So the, the story gets recorded in the historical records of the kings, but also gets recorded in Isaiah's story of his life, right? Does that make sense? That's why it's recorded twice. You get a little bit of extra detail in each story, but they're pretty much the same story. If you want to go and read the account in 2 Kings chapter 20, you can do that on your own. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 38, verses 1 to 8 today. Let me give you just a little bit of background on Hezekiah, right? Hezekiah is one of the few kings of Israel who the Bible describes as being a good king, as being a righteous man, as being somebody who followed the ways of God and tried to always do what was honorable. He eliminated all of the false gods and idols from Israel, from Judah, his kingdom at the time. He encouraged and motivated his people to worship the one true God. He allowed them to read and be taught from the law of Yahweh, the law of God that he gave the people through Moses. He spent kind of his whole life as a pretty good guy. And you don't really read much of trouble in his life until you get to this story we're going to look at today. Let me read you the story because what's important to realize is whether you're a good person or a bad person, whether you try to honor God or you just do whatever you want, the sun shines on everybody, right? The sun shines on the evil and the good, and the rain falls on the wicked and the godly. It doesn't matter. If you're good or bad, you have good times and bad times. If you're evil or righteous, you experience difficulty and joy. So it's not like just because he's a good guy, he doesn't experience trouble. He's about to experience the kind of trouble none of us want to hear. So let me read you the passage first. Isaiah chapter 38, starting in verse 1. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. That's not the news you want to hear, right? And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. How, how do you do, Lord? Like, thank you, may I have another? Thanks for that blessing, right? Is that good? Like, that's exactly, prophet shows up. You're like, teach me. Preacher comes into church today. What you got? You had a good word for me from the Lord, Right? I'm ready, man. Encourage me. Stretch me. Challenge me. I'll do anything. What do you got for me? You're going to die, dude. <laughs> I know you're feeling a little bad right now. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. You're going to croak. 
That's the word from the Lord. I mean, he's feeling sick. You ever been, like, feeling so sick? Like, that's how I felt this last Easter. I, was, I felt so sick, man. I couldn't even get out of bed. You're feeling so sick, and somebody shows up. What are you hoping? You're hoping they bring you, like, chicken noodle soup, right? You're hoping they'll sing you a little lullaby, a song, you know, rub your hair, whatever, put, cover you back up, you know, get you a drink of a juice or something. They're hoping you know, that they'll, like, cater to you. That they'll make you feel better. And here this guy's deathly ill. Prophet of God shows up. And he's like, okay, maybe he's got a good word for me. He's got, and the prophet's like, hey, man, you better set your affairs in order. You're not going to get any better. Looking pretty bad. I mean, it's, if you make it through the day, it'll be a miracle, you know? That's not what you want to hear, right? And you might be thinking, like, I don't understand. I'm a pretty good guy. I've always tried to honor the Lord. i tried to do what's right. Why isn't there any better? Where's the blessing? And Hezekiah could have taken this several directions. He could have got angry at God, right? He could have got like kind of resentful towards God and his ways and said, well, forget you then. He could have just given up on life, right? Isn't that like some of us? You're thinking, I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to do what's honorable. I'm trying to be a good person. And then disaster hits. And all of a sudden you're angry at God. Or, or all of a sudden you think, this is ridiculous. Or, or all of a sudden you think, I quit. I'm done trying to do all the right things. I'm just going to do my own thing now. But Hezekiah doesn't take any of those re- approaches. He doesn't respond that way. Let, let me read you the rest of the passage. You ready? When Hezekiah heard this, He turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. That's okay. We've talked about that in a couple different series this year. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but way back in the first Sunday in January, I said something to you guys. I said, hey, man, this year we got to get serious about begging God for help. And so we've had like three different series this, week, this year where we've hammered this idea. that You've got you've to start to train yourself to when it all hits the fan, to when it goes horribly, to when you feel overwhelmed. Your default response becomes, I've got to ask God for help. I've got to beg for help. That's what Hezekiah does. That's good. That's good. Now sometimes, like in our last series, I said, sometimes it takes God a really long time to respond. Months, years maybe. And you just keep begging God. You keep begging. But sometimes he responds like that. That's the case in this story. Before Isaiah even gets off of the king's land, God gives him a new message. Here, here it is. You ready? Look in verse 4. Then this message came to Isaiah from the Lord. Go back inside to Hezekiah and tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears I will add 15 years to your life. But he doesn't stop there. And I will rescue you in this city from the king of Assyria. Yes, I will defend this city. And this is the sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he's promised. I will cause the sun's shadow to move 10 steps back on the sundial. So the shadow of the sundial did move back 10 steps. Now that is a strange story. And sometimes we pack all this stuff on and try to 
do what God's telling us to do while holding on to all we've ever known. Sometimes we continue to look in the same cabinet over and over again despite the fact that we haven't found what we're looking for there anytime. Sometimes we do all of that simply because we don't trust God enough to do what's good in our life. We don't really think He loves us. And what I need you to know in this series, what I need you to get in each of the five weeks is this idea that God loves you more than anything. And if you don't understand that, you will never trust Him. If you don't understand how much God loves you, you will never love God like you should. Because God's love is what empowers us to love God. It's not our effort. It's not our intelligence. It's not us getting sick with life, fed up enough to start loving God. Only when we understand how much He loves us will we in turn love Him like we should. What he's about to teach Hezekiah is that he loves him more than anything in the whole world. And so Hezekiah doesn't get angry, doesn't give up on life. Instead, he turns to God. He lets God use the worst news he's ever gotten in his life to change his perspective and start to show him some blessing in places he wasn't even looking for it. Today, I want to just give you real quick, and you can write this in your outline if you want. I gave you an outline. You don't have to. You can use those as an extra tissue if you don't want to write anything down. But I want to give you real quick today just the two quick messages that God gave Hezekiah. They, they may be similar to messages we may hear in our life. And then I just want to ask you two quick questions from this paragraph that apply to us today. Ready? Here, here's the first message that God gives Hezekiah. You're about to die. You guys heard that in there, right? He says, you're about to die. It's not the message you want to hear. But that's the message God gives him. And then the second message he gives him is in the second half of the paragraph we read. He says, I have heard your prayer. I have heard your prayer. Now you can replace the word die with lots of things in our lives. But oftentimes the message that gets communicated to us is, it's all about to go wrong. It's all going wrong. It's not going the way you planned. It's, it's horrible. It's beyond horrible. It's the worst news you can imagine getting in your life. And we're all just one phone call away from that. One event away from that. And then the next message he sends to him is, I've heard your prayer. Now that's a good message to hear. So let me give you the two questions I want to ask you from this story. First question is this. What will it take to get your attention? What will it take to get your attention? See, I've learned that everybody wants to see a miracle. Everybody would choose 15 years longer on their life. Everybody would want to see God turn the sundial back 10 degrees. Everybody would want to see God take the sun, push it back out of the sky, and roll things back 10 hours. Everybody would want to see that. Everybody wants to experience a miracle, but nobody wants to be in a situation that necessitates a miracle. See, because to have a miracle, you've got to be on the brink of tragedy. Nobody wants that part of it. They want the miracle, but they don't want the difficulty that comes with it. 
And to witness a miracle, you have to experience a tragedy. And what if the struggle that you've been hating for so long is really all part of God's process? What if the struggle you've been resistant to, you've been hating for years, is really the scenario God's been planning for you? Another way to say it is this. What if the sickness you've been blaming is really really God's setup for your blessing? We don't ever think about it like that. We just want somebody to make us feel better. We just want somebody to come cater to us. And God's like, no, 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 I'm setting you up. I have to do whatever it takes to get your attention. You notice Hezekiah didn't turn to the wall and pray and break down in tears even when he got sick. It wasn't until the prophet showed up and said, dude, you're not going to get better. You're going to die. It wasn't until the bad news became tragic news that he decided to pray. Sometimes for us, God has to hit us so hard on top of the head. God has to let the weight fall so heavy on our back just to get us to ask him for help. It shouldn't be like that, but it is like that, and God knows that. And so the first question for you today is this, what is God going to have to do to get your attention? How hard is he going to have to let life hit you to get your attention? To where you ask him for help. What if the sickness you're experiencing, the sickness you've been blaming for all your trouble in life, is really the setup for his blessing? Here's the second question I want to ask you today. Second question is this What would happen if God heard you? What would happen if God heard you? You could do a whole lesson just on that one phrase he says in there where where God says to Isaiah, go back to Hezekiah and tell him, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your cry. I have heard your prayer and I have seen your cry. If God heard your prayer today and saw your cry, what would he give you? I wonder sometimes, like for me, if God heard my prayer and, and saw my cry, I wonder if he answered all those prayers if my life would even look much different. Like, I wonder if he heard my prayer and answered it. I wonder if anybody would even be able to tell God did something in my life. Or if my requests are so little, they're so insignificant, that if God did them, I wouldn't even know. I'd just think time passed or, or chance happened. or They're so little. And like James says in the New Testament, you have not because you ask not. And I wonder how much blessing God is waiting to just unleash on us if we would just ask. He's waiting to say, I've heard you. I've heard your prayer and I've seen your cry. But what is it that drives us to tears? What is it that causes us to pray? Is it just little tiny stuff? I want to start asking for stuff that is so big that if somebody does it, you'll have to know it was God. What are you asking God for? That if he answered you, you'd even be able to tell if it was him. See, you look at this like battle raging against you and you think it's overwhelming and we conclude God has abandoned us. God has given up on me. A terminal illness, God must not be on my side. A spouse that walked out on me, God must not want me to have any blessing. 
a child that's having some kind of medical condition and we can't get a cure, we can't find a doctor to fix it, God must hate me. But what if, what if the battle that you think is there to destroy you is actually God's tool that he's trying to use to deploy you down that narrow road? What if the battle you've been looking at and saying, it's going to destroy me, it's going to overcome me, it's going to defeat me, what if that's actually God's way of saying, take off the luggage you've been holding on to and just follow down my road. Obey, trust, know I love you. You don't need that stuff. What if the battle that you feel is about to destroy you is just God's way of saying, you've been looking in the wrong cabinet for years. What if he's allowing the battle to become more intense in your life? Not because he hates you. Not because he wants you to be defeated. But just so you'll start asking for stuff that really matters. What if? Because I don't ever ask for stuff that really matters until life gets really bad. You ever notice that? I mean, don't I want my marriage to be great? then why do I wait till it's on the brink to ask God for help? Don't I want my children to succeed? Then why do I wait till one of them's in jail to beg God for help? Don't I want my kids to be healthy? Then why do I wait till one of them's in the hospital bed to beg God for help? Don't I want financial freedom? Then why do I wait till the bank is locking the doors of my house to ask God for help? God knows that sometimes he's got to hit us hard on top of our head, to get our attention. And you think he's out to get you. You think he might hate you. And you maybe feel like giving up on life. And he's saying, don't give up. Don't believe I hate you. Know that I love you more than anything in the whole world. And what you think is out to destroy you is really my avenue to bless you. You just can't see it yet. You're just not looking in the right spot. And sometimes... And I hate this. I hate to even have to tell you guys this. But sometimes to get you to the place you need most, God has to send you down the path you want least. It's like, it reminds me of the story in the New Testament of the woman at the well. I don't know if any of you know that story or not, where Jesus says to his disciples, hey, we've got to go through Samaria. And they don't want to go through Samaria because they're racist. They're bigoted towards Samaritans. They don't like them. They want to go around, and Jesus says, no, we must go through Samaria. And it turns out, when he took them to the place they wanted to go least, they run into this woman, and they rescue her from hopelessness. And every one of those disciples got to see it. But to get them to the place that they needed most, he had to take them through the place they wanted to go least. And I wonder if in our lives it isn't like that sometimes. Or, but listen, what I found is that when God leads you to that kind of place, when he leads you down that road you don't want to walk, when it's a path of difficulty, a death sentence type of word from the Lord, when he leads you in that direction, the path you want least, it often ends up at the destination you wanted most to start with. And if you'll just shed the luggage and you'll just go to a different cabinet, you'll find the exact blessing you're looking for. Maybe God just had to rearrange the shelves. Maybe he had to just 
let it hit you so hard so that you would finally do something different. So that you would finally do what he wants you to do with your money. So that you would finally do what he wants you to do with your family. So that you would finally get down on your knees and beg for help. So that you would finally do things his way because narrow is the road that he's called you to walk down. There isn't room for all that stuff you're trying to hold on to. There there isn't room for you to keep doing things the way you've always done them. You've got to get rid of all that and trust that he loves you. What if you keep missing out on the blessing God has for you because you keep avoiding the path he says is best for you? You see, nobody wants to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Nobody wants to walk there. But sometimes that valley is exactly what it takes to drive me to my knees, to convince me to spend my money God's way, to follow his commands instead of my own desires. Sometimes you've been asking for the wrong stuff. You've been looking in the wrong places for so long that you keep looking there, even though you never find what you're looking for when you look there. You keep going to the same old stuff and getting the same old result. And you conclude that God hates you, that God's not real bright, and God just lets you keep getting hit over and over again, thinking maybe this time. Maybe this time they'll get on their knees. Maybe this time they'll turn to the wall and cry. Maybe this time they'll ask me for something that really matters. Maybe this time they'll understand that I love them and I've got their best interests at heart. Oswald Chambers said, sometimes it looks like God is missing the mark because we're too short-sighted to see what he's aiming for. The phrase that stuck out to me in this passage above all the other ones was where he says, Let him know I'm going to take the sundial and I'm going to turn it 10 steps back. I spent some time this week thinking about that phrase, 10 steps back. I think, you know, if you just said that phrase by itself, it would sound like a bad thing. Hey, man, my life, I just took 10 steps back, (laughs) right? You know, that doesn't sound good. sounds like a bad thing, 10 steps back. But maybe it's not as bad as it sounds. Maybe it's God giving us a sign that he's going to do exactly what he promised. Look back at verse 7 in Isaiah says, and this is the sign from the Lord to prove that he will do just as he promised. That he will be with us. That he has a plan for us. That even in the middle of the worst news, the most difficult circumstances, or the most overwhelming challenges, he's got a blessing waiting for us. Waiting for you. It just might be that you've been looking in the wrong cabinet for it. It just might be that you've been looking in the wrong spot for it. It just might be you haven't yet checked your blind spot. What if all of the disaster and chaos and trouble you feel in your life is really God letting you get hit so hard on top of the head that you will finally turn to the wall, beg him for help, and then hear back from him when he says, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I'm going to add to your life. I'm going to do something amazing to prove to you I'm going to do it. I'm going to pour out blessing on you. You think it's been disaster, but it's really me trying to deploy you. You think it's been brokenness, but it's really me blessing you. You think it's been sickness, but it's really me saving you. You think it's all like raining on your head over and over again, but right in the middle of that storm, if you'll just look somewhere different, 
you'll see that I'm really trying to bless you. Even when you think I'm not. Even when you think I hate you. Will you know today that God loves you? Maybe you got to turn to the wall. Maybe you got to pray and beg him for help. Maybe you need to cry. But I promise you this, as bad as the news feels, as bad as the news sounded to Hezekiah, as bad as it may sound to you, if you will turn to the wall and pray and cry, God will answer back to you the same way. I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. I will add to your life a blessing. I will add to your life a blessing where all you've ever seen is storm, where all you've ever seen is chaos. This is your chance right now to turn to the wall, beg God for help, let him see your tears and hear your prayers.